Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of June 21st from youth pastor Alan Johnston. Turn over to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Um, Called this message this morning, All In. Um, While you're turning over there, uh, I mentioned earlier that Andrew's had six baseball games this week. I want to tell you about one of them. Not because it has anything to do with the sermon, just because it's a fun story to tell. Um, So Tuesday night, they played one of the other league teams, kids their own age from around this area. And after two innings, they were down 12 to nothing. They had done nothing right. They had two hits, no runs. They had fumbled the ball all over the place, made a whole bunch of errors, and they were down 12 to nothing. They came back and won 15 to 12. They scored 12 runs in their next at bat, tied the game, and then scored three more runs and held them their last two at-bats and wound up winning 15-12. to 12. It was one of those moments as a parent and as a coach, I'm not the coach, but the coaches, as a parent supporting the teams and stuff like that, you watch that and you watch your kids not give up and you watch your kids play and things seem hopeless and they don't give up and they come all the way back and they wind up winning. And it was a heated game and it, there was controversy and people almost getting kicked out and all that stuff, so it was a really good baseball game. Given that we don't have Major League Baseball right now, it was about the best you can ask for, right? <laughs> I do miss baseball a lot. Um, I, I have a baseball on one side and a Cardinals on the other side mask made by Miss Pam Ward. I appreciate that very much. Um, that's one of the things that I've missed a lot over the last three months. But it is so good to be together, so good to be gathered together here. Uh, we actually had our first youth get-together uh, this week, did an outdoor thing, and it was phenomenal. It just felt like getting the band back together. Um, it, was, it was just a really, really awesome time. Uh, Tracy and I also delivered goodie bags, so we got to see some youth in that way as well. Um, things are starting to get a little bit back to normal, maybe. The weather definitely feels like summer, right? Uh, that's about the only thing that's felt like summer is the heat. But this morning, as I said, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 9. And before I get into the message, I want to tell you guys a story that I read this week. Um, a little kid asked his mom, Mom, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? And the mom kind of smiled and thought about it and said, I'm not sure. What's the highest number you've ever counted to? And the kid says, 6,432. And the mom kind of laughs and snickers about it a little bit. And she says, my, that's a big number. Why did you stop there? Did you not know what was next? And the kid said, well, church was over. (laughs) I hope you're not sitting there this morning counting. (laughs) I hope I'm not boring you that much. Um, but I thought that was a fun little story. I also read a story this week that really ties into what I'm going to talk about here. A pastor, in one of the commentaries I was reading, a pastor told a story that when the Coast Guard Reserves were recruiting him, they weren't exactly completely honest. They found out that he liked to read. And so they told him, the recruiter told him, that there was a library on the base. There was a library that he could use. There was a library for him to go read. He got excited about that. What he left out, though, was that no recruit could get the library without earning that privilege, and that it took at least the first six weeks to get that privilege, and that even at that, it was only an hour a week that they could use the library. Another guy in his, in his uh, troop came in with water skis and a fishing pole because the recruiter had told him the base was on an island, which was true, and that, he could, and that people could ski, water ski and fish, which was also true but not with them, not the recruits. They weren't completely honest with them. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus wasn't a dishonest recruiter. He never held back what it meant to truly follow him. He wants us to know up front that there's warfare involved 
in following him, that there's warfare involved, that there's a battle involved, that it's difficult. If we're looking for personal comfort, we best look somewhere else. And in this passage this morning, three guys wanted to follow Jesus, but they wanted to follow him on their own terms. They were kind of looking for, I want to do it my way. The Burger King, is that Burger King? Yeah, do it my way, have it your way. Um, they, They wanted that. This story takes place as Jesus starts the road towards Jerusalem, which ultimately ends with the end of his life and all that kind of stuff. Right before it is uh, a passage where a village turns Jesus away and the disciples get so mad they really want to just firebomb the entire village. They're so mad about it. Right after it, he sends out 72 kind of on the mission field and then he tells um, tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. In this particular passage, though, three different guys come to Jesus and say that they want to follow him. And the response of Jesus seems harsh. It seems over the top, maybe even, to us in our mindset. But his point is that there's no room for half-hearted devotion. Here he exposes half-hearted commitments of the comfortable person who only follows when it suits him, the convenient person who only is giving the Lord his leftovers, and the distracted person who's trying to keep his options open. That's what we see in this passage. So I want to read from Luke 9, 57 through 62, and we're going to look at how following Jesus requires everything from us. Starting at verse 57. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that in these few moments we have together that we would see that what you want from us is not half-hearted devotion, but it's all in total commitment, radically obedient to what you desire. And we can't settle for anything less than that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want us to see is this. The way of Jesus is difficult. The way of Jesus is difficult. All over the world, and I've seen this in Hawaii, I've seen it in Ukraine, I've seen it in Senegal, among other places. All over the world, people peddle cheap crosses for for decorations, for jewelry, for that type of thing. Dirt cheap, people buy them all the time in the marketplaces in these countries. In reality, there's no such thing as a cheap cross, though. It costs Jesus everything, and to follow him, To take up that cross costs us everything. And Jesus never pretends otherwise. He never waters this down. Following Jesus means we step into the fray. It means we risk everything. It means we go all in with him. It means we look at him and say, yes, Lord. Now what do you want me to do and where do you want me to go? We say yes and then find out what he wants. We live when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly into the difficult and the unknown. Jesus said, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is not at home in this world. He's basically saying he's a homeless man. He's a man without a home. And if it's difficult for Jesus, it's going to be difficult for us. We live when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly into the difficult and the unknown. And we do it no matter what it takes and no matter what it costs. One of the theme verses in my entire time as a youth minister is Luke 9.23. It says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is only 25, 30 verses before what I just read. Deny self, take up the cross daily, and follow me. We align ourselves with him. We're willing to follow whatever it takes. 
We give up our thoughts, we give up our plans, we give up our dreams, we give up our actions, we give up everything. We say no to comfort, we say no to past lifestyle choices, we say no to future plans if they don't align with the will of God, if they don't align with the plan of God. We can't look at Jesus and say, God, you're welcome to come along for the ride, but I'm still in control. And sometimes when it's difficult, we want to do that. We want to take the reins back for ourselves. Even if it means hard changes, even if it means dramatic life changes, we go all in for Jesus if we're going to really follow him. What we say we believe matches how we live our lives. And we can't settle for status quo. We can't settle for going through the motions. We can't settle for fine and okay in a padded pew and a name on a church roll at the expense of what Jesus really wants. He wants complete devotion. He wants his terms. He wants a willingness to leave everything else behind to follow him. Even if others think you're foolish. Even if others think you're nuts. Even if others don't understand it. We leave all of that behind to follow him. The disciples stepped into a world of persecution and trials. And if we're really following him, we'll step into places that are uncomfortable. And places that might even get us scorned. And we don't like that a lot of times. We don't like when it gets difficult. And maybe we don't completely turn our back on God during those times, but we just kind of cower in the back a little bit. We just kind of fade into the background a little. We just kind of, I'm still following Jesus just kind of quietly over here when it gets difficult, when it gets hard. It may be more trying than we realize at the time, but it'll always be worth it to follow him, even into the difficult, even into the unknown. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican bishop, and this is what he said about this in one of his commentaries on the book of Luke. He would have no man enlisted on false pretenses. He would have it distinctly understood that there is a battle to be fought and a race to be run, a work to be done, and many hard things to be endured if we propose to follow him. Salvation he is ready to bestow without money and without price. Grace by the way and glory in the end shall be given to every sinner who comes to him. But he would not have us ignorant that we shall have deadly enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, and that many will hate us, slander us, and persecute us. If we become his disciples, he does not wish to discourage us, but he does wish us to know the truth. And the truth is that the way of Jesus is difficult. Second thing, no duty is as important as our commitment to God. No duty in our life is as important as our commitment to God. Verse 59 and 60, he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. Then he said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. That seems really harsh. I mean, we read that and we think, whoa, that's, that's hard. But there's a couple things that we need to know. First, the man's father probably wasn't even dead yet, so he's trying to wait until his father dies. And secondly, even if he was, Burial in this day was often as much as a year-long process, if he was even dead yet at the time. And so he's making an excuse. Following Jesus is not just an important thing, it is the important thing, the most important thing. The word discipleship and variations of that in the Gospels and Acts alone, so the first five books of the New Testament, variations of the word discipleship are found over 300 times just in those first few chapters of the New Testament. It means to be a learner. It means to be someone who follows another's teachings. It means an apprenticeship that only ends when the apprentice can do what the master is doing. And by the way, we're never going to quite be like Jesus, so is it ever going to end? <laughs> Not really, right? Disciples are learners. They're followers. They're adherents. They're imitators. They're in a personal relationship. They're in a connection 
in response to Jesus' call. Family does matter. This is Father's Day. We're talking about that. We prayed for that. Family matters, but Jesus matters more. And it's easy to read this and go, man, that's kind of not cool to the family. But Jesus is saying, nothing else matters like me. Nothing else satisfies like me. Everything else has to take second. Everything else has to be given up. Every other right, every other control has to be given up and put under Jesus himself. Nothing satisfies like Jesus. Think about this. Think about a lot of the greats of the Bible. The disciples, when they answered the call of Jesus, most of them left family, left their careers, and stepped into the unknown to follow Jesus. Or think about Moses. For a time, Moses was the adopted son of Egyptian royalty. And he had to leave that to follow God. Or Abraham. Abraham gave up comfort and familiarity in Genesis 12 to step into the unknown. And then 10 chapters later, chapter 22, he was willing to sacrifice his son. If that's what it meant to follow Jesus. All of these people ultimately decided that ultimate fulfillment is only found in their connection to God. Only Jesus, only God would ever provide that ultimate fulfillment. None of the other things in life would ever do that. Everything else pales in comparison to him. Another great illustration is Paul. When Paul had his life radically changed by Jesus, he fell so in love with Jesus. He was so on fire for his Lord that he said, what I want to do is preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing else. Is there more than that in the Bible? Yeah, but ultimately that's what it all comes back to. And Paul said, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ crucified and nothing else. He said, that's more than enough for me. That's my message. He also said to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he also said everything else is considered rubbish compared to knowing Christ. This was a man on fire for his Lord. This was a man who was so changed and so transformed by what he experienced that nothing compared to knowing Christ, nothing compared to living for Christ, and he wanted nothing more than for other people to experience what he had. Think about Jesus praying in the garden right before he goes to the cross. He prayed for a way out because it was a difficult journey that was ahead of him. And we do that a lot, and that's fine. But Jesus finished the prayer because what did he say? Yet not what I will, but your will be done. God, if there's a way out, give it to me. But ultimately, I want to do what you want and what your plan is. Not my will, but yours be done. Following Jesus is not a task added to other tasks like working a second job, like picking up a second job. It's everything. It's a solemn commitment which forces the disciple to be to reorder every other aspect of their life around him. So no duty is as important as our commitment to God. And then third, once we decide to follow Jesus, there can be no turning back. Once we decide to follow Jesus, there can be no turning back. One of the invitation songs I heard a whole lot growing up in the church I grew up in was, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And that's what he's talking about here in 61 and 62. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this may not mean as much to us in, a, in the society we live in, but in a farming society, they would know exactly what he meant. 
Because if you put your hand to the plow and you start looking back, you start veering over in a different direction and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And Jesus calls us out that we don't look back, that we put our hand to the plow and move forward and live for him. A lot of times we want it to all come at once. We want, I read this illustration as I was working through this, we want it to be like $1,000 given to us all at once. Instead, it's like a quarter here, 50 cents here, a dollar here. It's found in, it's not always found in glorious things. It's lived out little by little over the long haul. And we can't turn back from that. There's many people who say that following Jesus is important to them. There's many people who would call themselves Christians. But it's clearly not the most important thing in their lives. Commitment to follow Jesus means whatever he asks, whenever he asks it, wherever he asks us to go. These guys wanted to follow Jesus, but on their own terms. And Jesus basically says to them, if you're going to follow me, you have to go all in. Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says, whoever does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross is not worthy to me. That means nothing can get in the way. Nothing can pull us away from him. Hebrews 12, I want to read this one. Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay aside every hindrance. Lay aside every distraction. Everything that distracts us, everything that causes us to lose focus, everything that pulls us away from what God wants. We get so easily distracted, don't we? We get so easily distracted by the calendar, the schedule, this thing going on, this thing going on, this thing going on, this thing going on. And whatever becomes, I'll follow you in most things. Am I willing to follow whatever he asks and whatever that requires? Too often we treat God like that diet or workout program that we have great intentions with, but we never really meant to actually do it for the long haul, did we? Or a New Year's resolution that we never really meant to keep, but we just felt like we needed to make. We mean well, but we get nowhere. When he calls us, he wants us whatever. He wants us whenever, which means he wants us right now and for the long haul. Not down the line at some point. Not procrastinating and putting it off. Procrastination is lukewarm faith. If we put him off, we're not really following him. And by the way, tomorrow is never promised. It's easy to go, you know what, I'll follow him when I get to this stage of life, when I get this done, when I accomplish this, when I know this, when I do this. I had, a, I had a teenager years ago in my youth ministry say, I think it's really neat that you follow Jesus with your life, but I just want to go and do some things and experience some life and sow my wild oats, and then maybe when I'm 25 or 30, then I'll start following Jesus. Literally actually said that to me. It's such a dangerous thing to say because we're not promised another day. James 4, 13, and 13 through 15 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Often we hear what God wants and then we wait on somebody else to do it. Something's put out there, something that God wants, and we think, I might be supposed to do that, but maybe I'll wait and see if somebody else will do it first. When he calls, he wants us. And when he calls, he wants us right now to what he calls us to. 
Excuses show an unwillingness to fully trust him, an unwillingness to fully have faith in God's plan. And kind of honestly, excuses kind of honestly say, God, I think I know better than you. And that's a dangerous game to play. Many people have a confused idea of what following Jesus means. They know it means, oh, I go to church once a week, twice a week. I read my Bible occasionally. I pray a little bit. That's part of it. But it means taking him wherever he leads and wherever you go. At home, at work, at school, in the neighborhood, in the grocery store, in the gas station, in the restaurant, in the ball field, wherever we go. So the question for us is, do the people we're around at school, at work, in town, all these places I just named, do they know that we belong to Jesus? How do we treat them in those contexts? It's easy to follow Jesus in church and youth group and children's ministry and all those kinds of things. But do they really know that we belong to Jesus? How are we treating even the ones that are difficult? Do our actions, our speech, our attitudes, our appearances reflect Christ and reflect the commitment? A Gallup poll a few years ago, that's one of those national polling services, Gallup poll a few years ago contended that fewer than 10% of evangelical Christians could be called deeply committed. Fewer than 10% of people who call themselves evangelical Christians could be classified as deeply committed. And that the majority of those who profess Christianity don't know basic Christian teachings and don't act differently because of their Christian experience. I don't know how that makes you feel, but it hurts my heart because I think it's a slap in the face of my Lord. One pastor said 90% of our churches across the country require less commitment than the local Kiwanis Club. 90% of our churches across the country require less commitment than the local Kiwanis Club. So today the real question is this, are we willing to go all in for Jesus? In a different story in Matthew chapter 19, a rich young man wants to follow Jesus, but he's unwilling to give up his wealth. And so he walks away sad, and he walks away unfulfilled. Discipleship calls for, calls for an obvious detachment from everything else, a single-minded devotion to absolutely follow Jesus. These guys in the story in Luke chapter 9 said they wanted to follow Jesus, but they were filled with excuses, and they delayed the responsibility, and they delayed the spread of the gospel. Each of them said they wanted to follow Jesus, but they wanted it in their own way. They wanted their own security. They wanted their own comfort. Jesus calls that out. And he says it requires humility. It requires sacrifice to follow him. Commitment to Christ isn't based on an emotional, idealistic decision that we make one time when we're whatever age. It isn't a casual, whenever you find time, I'll follow Jesus type matter. It isn't a phase we leave behind someday. The only way to follow Jesus is totally. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I following Jesus completely? Or am I holding something back for myself? Am I keeping one foot in the world just in case? Am I hanging on to some secret sin so as to not miss out on what the world has to offer? Am I saying, I'll follow you, Lord, but everything after that but needs to go away. I'll follow Jesus, but we need to get rid of that but, the only way to follow Jesus is totally. 